if in this first Sunday of Lent, the gospel is always about the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, the second Sunday of Lent always recounts the story of the transfiguration. And this year, we are reflecting on the version of Mark. It's really a powerful story and a great, and a great story to reflect on as we journey in this season of Lent and as we look forward to the season of Easter. And uh, it's so easy to miss the details of the gospel if we don't really dig deeper into, into the small details that Mark recounted for us in the story of the Transfiguration. So I would like to parse it little by little so that we can truly enter into the spirit of the story. We were told that Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain apart, apart by themselves. Mountains are always a sign of God's revelation and manifestation. In the Old Testament, if you recount, for example, the story of Moses, uh, the enacting of the covenant, the giving of the commandments happened on a mountain in Sinai. And that's true with also with Elijah and uh, with other important prophets where they received an important message from God. And here, when we heard the, the reference to the mountain, the evangelist is bracing us, is asking us to brace ourselves to be ready to what God wants to reveal. Mountain is a place of God's communication of oneself in a special way. And why did Jesus have to bring the disciples to a mountain? He could just tell them, okay, guys, I want to have a Jesus meeting with you, a come-to-Jesus meeting. You can just, we can just do this in, um, in one room just by ourselves. Why the need to bring them to a place apart by themselves? We all know that if we are always in the midst of things, if we are always in the grind, doing the routinary things that we do, we sometimes miss or can miss what God wants to communicate with us. No matter sometimes how much I want to, I want to enter into the realm of God, the schedule, the calls, the emails could sometimes really distract us. And we lose our attention and focus. That is why the mountaintop is a great place for us to consider during this time of Lent. And I'm not just talking about the physical mountain, but rather a place where we can be on our own, being able to, to reflect on how God has been working in our own lives. Because if we just do it, 
in the midst of the craziness of our schedule, no matter how well-intentioned we are, sometimes we still couldn't enter into what God wants to reveal to us. And the disciples, the disciples had to be taken out from the business of their own ministry, from their work of evangelization, because they too could easily lose sight of what Jesus wants to tell them. And what is this revelation that God wants to show to them or to tell them? We were told that he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. If I remember the version of Matthew on the same story, and Matthew said that Jesus, that the face of Jesus shone like a sun, like sun, meaning light was emanating from him, from within. You know, when Moses had the theophany experience, the manifestation of God in Sinai, his face was also shining, but the light is coming from without. It was just being reflected to him. But in the case of Jesus, we see in here that his face shone like sun, meaning light was emanating from within. He is not getting the light from somewhere else, but rather it is in him. Most of the theophanies or the revelations of God in the scriptures, there's always a reference on the radiance of the face or of the body of the one receiving the message, and that radiance is always reflected from somewhere else. Here, the disciples could see that the light is coming from within because Christ himself is the light of the world. And then we were told that Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. I've emphasized this year after year how important this detail is in the gospel. You know, who are these two people? They were the most important personalities in the Jewish tradition without exaggeration after Yahweh. If we, could, if we can have like the hierarchy of importance in the Jewish faith, of course, God would always be the top and there's no comparison with God. But in the human realm, it's going to be Moses and Elijah, the first two most important personalities. And why is that? Moses represented the law. He was the one who received the commandments, that covenantal relationship between God and the chosen people. All Jewish life is centered on the law. Without the law, they would be at loss. You see how, sen how central that is. And Elijah is the most important prophet in the Old Testament. We call him as the prophet of the prophets. He stands, he represents everything that God in the Old Testament communicated to man, to humanity, about the coming of the Messiah. You see, the two most important people 
are converging to the person in the middle in the person of Jesus. Jesus was right there at the center, telling us that in the person of Christ, the fulfillment of the law, which is what? Love is in Jesus. The fulfillment is right there in their midst already. And the fulfillment of everything that had been said by God to man, the prophecies, is also completed right there in the midst of them in Jesus. You know, Moses and Elijah were also equally equally mesmerized, just like Peter, James, and John, because it's like, wow, everything about the law that I received is now in the work is now right there in front of me. <laughs> and everything that was said about the word is now in front of me. The word made flesh is in front of me. <laughs> Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. No wonder Peter, seeing all of this, seeing all of this, said, wow, this is beyond I could imagine. Peter said, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Rabbi, it is good. I mentioned last year that the original Greek word for the word good here is the word kalon, K-L-O-N. Lord, it is kalon to be here. And you know when was the last time kalon was used in the Scriptures? During the time of creation, every single day it was referred to that God saw everything good. God saw everything kalon. And we never encountered the word kalon again until the time of the transfiguration. Everything was good, but good was marred when sin entered. There was nothing good after that in the Jew, you know. But Peter, seeing all of this, it's like seeing this, Jesus being transfigured, and the two people right there in front of them, it's like the whole creation is back to its original beauty. There is no greater beauty than this, according to Peter. That, that's why, Lord, it is kalon to be here. It's like everything that was destroyed seems to be restored now. This event of the transfiguration prefigures the event of the resurrection. The event of the resurrection. Because Christ is the one who will restore all creation back. You know, what does this tell you, my dear friends? What does this mean to you, to you and I? That it is only in Christ where full restoration of what is broken in us can take place. If everything is kalon because of Christ, He is the only one that can actually restore whatever experience of brokenness we experience. I was following um, one of the pages in Facebook. It's called the Ka El Camino. 
uh, because I did uh, the Camino in Santiago two years ago, and I liked that page. And uh, there was this um, little epata in there, or like a, a saying that says, light only enters in broken pieces. You know, uh, it's like, It is only when we realize our own brokenness that light enters. You know, when, when things is so solid, light could not really enter. But when it's broken, the broken pieces, it is only in there that light could enter. And you know, Jesus was trying to enter into the brokenness of the disciples in here, making them realize who is in front of them. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. You know, it's interesting, inasmuch as Peter was so awe-inspired by what he was seeing, they were also terrified. Why were they afraid? Why were they afraid? If this is the best thing that they could ever experience, why were they afraid? They were afraid because they did not know what this event would require of them. I was talking to somebody a few days ago, and she said, you know, Father, this season of Lent, I really want to enter into a deeper relationship with God. But I am so afraid or terrified to deepen my relationship with God because it might require me to have a radical change in my life. And I said, what do you mean? Oh, no, Father, my personal life is a mess. And if I really would want to take seriously the call of the Lord, I would have to make difficult choices in my relationships. I am not in a, um, in a relationship right now recognized by the church. And, uh, and I want to deepen my relationship with God. But I know that if I'm going to walk that path seriously, I would have to do and make difficult choices, and I am not sure I am willing to do that right now. And that's the same thing that w- it was happening with the disciples in the gospel. It's like, okay, this is all great, but will this require a reorientation of our lives? Will this require a new set of thinking, perspective? They were so terrified because they themselves did not want to to, um, to rock the, the normal for them. They were so afraid of what this manifestation mean. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved Son, listen to Him. You know, the great thing about God is that even though we think things are obvious, He always gives us a second reinforcement. It's like, okay, Jesus is right there in the midst. Elijah 
and Moses right there. And the disciples would probably have gotten it already, but who knows? Probably they did not. God said, okay, guys, I'm just going to make this so easy for you. To clarify this, this is my beloved son. <laughs> if you don't get this, what else could I tell you? There's no more confusion in there. This is my beloved son. I, I was telling the people at the vigil mass last night that I wish I could be like the father. He is so succinct in his preaching. He is so short. I mean, he, does, he, he, he just said, this is my beloved son, listen to him, and he goes off. I wish I could just do that. I've been preaching for 15 minutes now. You know, but this, the father said, this is my beloved son, and this is everything that I want you to know. But what does it mean to, to believe in my beloved son? Listen to him, to listen to his voice, to listen to his voice. One of the crazy things about this pandemic is that what I've realized is we are so physically isolated from one another, but the information out there in the social media is also more than ever. Like new blogs, new TikToks, new whatever, you know, everything is in there. You know, I, I have never been so bombarded by lots of information than before. You know, it, it felt like I'm isolated, but all of these things are all coming to me all at the same time. There are so many competing voices. And sometimes the voice of God can be just so uh, lost in all of this. You know, whom do you listen to in your transformation, in your rule of life? Then suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone. You know, this is really like a, like a boom. Peter are all like awe inspired by what they're seeing. And suddenly, after the revelation, like their heroes are gone. Moses and Elijah were gone, and only remains is Jesus. They are being told, yes, Elijah and Moses are great part of your tradition, but in the end, only one person matters. Only one person remains. Only one person um, abides, and that is Christ. You know, with everything that we have in our own lives, no matter how great they are, no matter how wonderful they are, there's always going to be an end to it at some point, and only one matters. I'm not saying that all the other good things don't matter because they do. But the only, thing, or the only one thing that remains is Jesus alone. No wonder in this great revelation, Jesus alone remains. No more Moses, no more Elijah. Because when everything is said and done, only Christ matters. What remains in your life right now? I didn't find only Christ matters on Apple Music. Sorry. It's Siri. Okay, I'm just going to stop there. I didn't even press Siri. But Siri said, only Christ matters. <laughs> 